Hi there, this is Kevin from Bangers and Mash Chat. This is our Mental Health Awareness Week special where we're talking about uh, mainly my mental health uh, but we're also talking about some rather hard-hitting topics such as suicide uh, so treat this as your trigger warning and enjoy the episode. everyone welcome to bangers and mash chat um we are doing a special episode this week to mark mental health awareness week which has run from monday to sunday this week um the theme of it this year um is anxiety which is massively close to my heart as most people will know i suffer quite badly with it especially when it comes to medical issues and health um but it's just one area of mental health and this week there's a lot of awareness going on just to get people talking and again make it less taboo um i'm doing a lot of work with uh my job because i work with my disability um group at work uh, on raising awareness and events and so yeah we thought we'd do an episode to market and talk about it and bring up difficult conversations and yeah just get the topic out there yeah um it's a long time coming we've been talking about this doing this for a while so this week seems quite appropriate Mm. to do it um so i have no idea what questions ellie has prepared for me Mm. But I am completely open uh, to being, you know, honest and transparent in in all my answers. Um, so with that, we'll probably obviously come a trigger warning. We're probably going to talk about some really horrible stuff. Uh, so if that's not your cup of tea, uh, then obviously listen to the next episode or or back catalogue mm-hmm. now. Um, but yeah, if you if you're if you're struggling or you're curious or you just want to understand me or understand yourself a bit better, uh, then obviously stay tuned yeah and just know that you're not alone you're definitely Um, not alone but yeah we will put a trigger warning before the episode anyway um there will be talk of suicidal thoughts we'll go right down into sort of how the both of us have dealt with our mental health and and what that what that involves so uh strap in okay so how are you feeling today? <laughs> Today's a good day. Um, I think, you know, on the whole, uh, at the moment, things things are good. Um, I think um, I'm on an even sort of keel. Um, I've had some quite big stuff come at me lately. So uh, my dad passing away uh, was quite a big one. Uh, and a few other bits and pieces going on here and there. Some work structural changes has, has not thrown me off, but has certainly been something to consider um and think about so yeah there's been a few big things but on the whole i'm pretty okay i think that's quite a good example of how two very different things can affect your mental health something as massive as a parent dying and then something as relatively little as a restructure at work that doesn't really affect your job you know how the two things can get you off kilter but they're so vastly different in their severity to an outside person it's bizarre but absolutely. we will crack into that later we'll, yes we'll go into more of that later. Uh, yeah absolutely what are you talking about triggers later what sort of sets you off or yeah yeah there'll be that we'll okay. talk about that later fine okay so let's just kick off uh, and we will be talking like we'll be talking sort of conversationally with each other because um we both suffer with different mental health issues so we'll cover different areas Um, I, for example, am more anxiety based. I haven't ever been clinically diagnosed with depression. Um, That's not to say I don't think I've suffered. I don't think that I've touched on it at times in my life, but I'm more anxiety based. Um, 
I don't take meds. I have in the past. I've been diagnosed, uh, diagnosed, prescribed as I have in the past when it's been particularly bad. I've had time off work because I've had horrendous periods of crushing anxiety, mostly around my health. Um, and yeah, so it's very different to something. Well, I say very different. It's a different diagnosis to something like depression, um, which can feel that they the two cross over. I believe they have quite similar symptoms, and you know, you often you have one with the other. But to kick it off. Can you just give us a brief summary of how you would describe your mental health battles? Like, is what what is it that you suffer with? What would you say that it's defined as? What have you been diagnosed with? Okay, um, so I am depressed. I've been um, diagnosed as depressed. Uh, this was going back to 2020, I think. Or, no, 2019, 2020. Um, I uh, was obviously getting divorced had been divorced uh lost you know a significant chunk of my contact with kids and uh things sort of got a bit out of hand you know I was living in a flat on my own uh turning to alcohol um as a trigger but were you before the divorce mm -hmm. like during your relationship was did you have any mental health issues then that you would now look back and go actually I wasn't mentally well then like did it only kick off after you got divorced and that kicked everything off or was it before then but kind of escalated when the divorce happened it was definitely before then so um not that i really was aware of it and i'm certainly more aware of it now looking back and uh, you know i wish i'd wish i knew then what i knew now uh, or, or had or had a few people around me who who knew more about it that could have helped and supported me but going back to that sort of time i was definitely um i was definitely depressed i you know it was you know, big, big mood swings, uh, peaks and troughs in terms of uh, sort of day-to-day -day mood. And it could be the smallest things sort of triggering it off and things like that. Um, but yeah, definitely beforehand. I'm, I, I'm aware now that there were some signs and symptoms of depression. And at sure. that point, what coping method? Because you didn't know at the time, what did you used to do to like deal with it, to cope with it? Like what, how would you, how would you deal with that when it came up? Um, a lot of it was sort of swallowing it down and just not um, showing it at all, which was obviously the wrong thing to do uh, in hindsight. But yeah, it was very much a, um, it, I don't know, it was it was difficult to articulate it. So the easiest thing to do was ignore it. Um, I did turn to alcohol quite a lot and that was a problem mainly because of the amount of alcohol I was I was drinking. Um, I was binging so it wasn't every day but when I did drink it was an excessive amount and we talked lots on this podcast about alcohol and things like that but yeah mm -hmm. I did turn to drink the two um, go hand in hand quite a lot don't they sometimes yeah. like mental health and just trying to escape it almost yes and it's an, it's nice to feel something different to mm. the day to day to being rubbish <laughs> yeah to, to feeling rubbish yeah, yeah exactly so definitely turn to drink um, that obviously led to arguments and things like that um, which then spiralled into arguments with with my ex-wife about drinking and then drinking behind her back um you know trying to act sober when i'm clearly not sober and that sort of thing so yeah i didn't really have much support in terms of um sort of helping me understand what was going on with mm -hmm. me um and you know I hadn't been to the doctors or anything like that because again i thought i could handle it okay. i thought i could i could handle it and it would be admitting defeat by 
not handling it and saying, look, there's a problem. You know, it's showing weakness. You know, I've got two young kids. I don't want to show them weakness. Uh, well, that's how it felt at the time anyway. And yeah. again, in hindsight, I know it's not weakness. In fact, it's strength, of course. But by, once by you're admitting. in it, though, you just don't feel that. Like every yeah. situation, I think, that affects your mental health, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see all this stuff. No. It's only afterwards that you go, ugh. <laughs> and it's yeah. always saying, if I only knew then, if I'd only had that support. And the weakness thing you hear a lot, like I've had a lot of counselling, and that's always how I think people feel. It's like, I'm, I should be able to cope with this stuff. I shouldn't feel like this. I should, shouldn't have this particular situation make me feel this rubbish. Like, I should yeah. be stronger. And it's like, well, why should you be? I think it's a lot of it is to do with how I've been, how I was brought up. You mm-hmm. know, it was very much sort of stiff upper lip. Yeah. Um, get your head down, yeah. and you know you don't you don't need to be airing your dirty laundry in public. And, and people didn't really believe in it, did they? Mental not health wasn't a thing. It was just you know man up. Yeah, my parents, my grandparents, and most people around me, although probably suffering from one sort of another yeah. from 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 you know poor mental health. Mm-hmm. I, I had no no one pointing it out clear as day to me saying there's something wrong yeah. you need to go and see somebody um you know I dealt with it the, the way my dad dealt with it which was drinking yeah um and <laughs> which which in a weird kind of way sort of made it worse because mm-hmm. it became that sort of spiral of well I know there's something wrong so I'll use drink to deal with it but then I get angry at myself for drinking and dealing with that that way and then I drink to deal with that anger. Exactly. And then it just gets worse <laughs> yeah. and worse and worse. And you yeah. just ends up being a spiral you struggle to get out of. Yeah. Um, my second question that we already covered was, do you have any idea what triggered or caused it to start with? Was it one specific thing or an accumulation of things? But I'm guessing well, I think it was if, just life, wasn't it, that happened and then it just spiraled? I yeah, I think if we're going back to the original question, which was, you know, looking back, do, do I did I have poor mental health? growing up or before it all sort of kicked off and I would say probably probably yeah I, I, I did um in terms of triggers for that I have no idea I mean you can you could blame a whole bunch of things mm. um you know and I don't I don't want to sort of speculate there's no one particular episode in my life where I thought that you know that that's where it all stems back to yeah um there's a few horrible things that that happened but not but nothing sort of um that impactful that I can say yeah that was it but in terms of in later day obviously you know getting divorced was really quite traumatic um it wasn't uh despite trying to be amicable with the kids and the house and the finances and stuff like that divorce is never that easy um and you know it did take its toll on me financially emotionally um and I found it really difficult to cope. So, uh, you know, and also, you know, we we were heading into a pandemic yeah. as well, which was another thing. So it's it had a lot of twists and turns and I found myself dealing with it by mainly drinking, um, trying to make new friends, which was, you know, difficult in, in a pandemic uh, and being in a new place because I'd moved out of Kidlington to Whitney. I didn't know anybody. Um, so yeah, I think that was that was the main thing that kicked it off. The constant I had in my life was my work. Mm. So and at the time that was and still now it's you know it's it's still a constant. It's a good job. I enjoy my job. I could put a lot of focus into that and not necessarily anything else. Mm. 
Um, so, yeah, that was really what kept a, a steady sort of steady ship. Yeah. Was 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 work having at least something to focus on was was a useful thing. So, do you find that there are certain things that can happen that you know will make your mental health dip? That they uh, will just trigger things. Will that they will just make it worse? And you know, you know that a certain thing will happen. It'll be like I'm going to feel rubbish after that. Or is it just as and when it happens? Do you just kind of um, deal as it comes? I sort of deal as it comes, but I think there's. You know, drinking. I mean, we keep going back to drinking, but when when I do drink, or I get to a point where I feel drunk, and I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna feel rough the next day. You know, there's a lot of regret associated with that. Um, around the kids, not drinking around the kids, but you know, when the kids are around, you know, if we have a rough weekend with them, you know, I, I can end up beating myself up quite a lot about that. That will often spiral into a low couple of days. I've noticed um, it's often when you don't feel like you've done something well enough, even though you probably yeah. have, and most of the time you absolutely have, but you are your own worst critic. You oh, beat yourself up about absolutely everything. You try, yeah. your most used phrase is, to me, when you get into these low places is, I need to be perfect. It's like, and you, you do, you feel the need to be perfect all the time, perfect dad, perfect husband, perfect son, but you can't be. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's got flaws. And I think you hold yourself to a, a far too high standard. And that's you, <laughs> something you're never going to hit. No, that's been pointed out to me more than once, both in home life and, and in work life. And weirdly at church when somebody said, if you were perfect, you'd be like God and you can't really compare yourself to God. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that, put, that put things into perspective yeah. for sure. But I've always been my own worst critic. I do want to be, you know, the best, the best I can be. And that's what I... And that's talk. okay, but that's not perfect. Yeah, but I do, and I also you know try and talk to the kids about that as well. You know, try and make them the best they can be, the best version of themselves they can be. Mm. Um, I mean, an example last week, I went to Germany and did this um, great conference piece in front of lots of people. Um, so I spoke about the company and things like that, and I got an awful lot of praise back for that. And it was, you know, independent independent people coming to me and saying, that was a really good presentation. You, you know, did a great job, very professional, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that was that was really nice. And, uh, you know, for once, I actually felt like I'd done a good job. Um, but you recognised it, which is so unlike you. But, you were like, but, actually, yeah, it took you a while. Mainly because of the number of people who came up and said it was good. Yeah. You know, if, if, if my boss had said it, in isolation, I'd have gone. Well, yeah, he kind of has to say that, doesn't he? Because you know he's my boss. Um, but you know that was. I've always struggled to believe believe in myself. That's always been a, a character trait that, that I've I've not been great at. Is you know believing in myself, believing in my abilities, um, and. Where's that from, though? Is that because in the past people have been the exact opposite with you? Um. Have you had? You haven't had the encouragement. You haven't had the sort of other people championing you on, and you've kind of then never felt good enough. Or is it just because it's a you thing? Like that's always how you've been. I think I've always there's always been. Well, this again might come back to being me, but when I when something bad happens, let's say you know a breakup, not necessarily the, the divorce or anything, but previous relationships, I've always wondered whether I, it was me or I could have done something better. Um, so always again trying to improve trying to be the be the best version um but i don't i don't often see things in a very 
positive way, especially when it's about me. Yeah. Um, because I and this is really awful, but you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have a huge number of positive influences around me. That's not to say I had negative influences around me. I just had neutral influences mm. around me, and I had to do a lot of growing up very quickly. You know, being from divorced parents and um, I was living on my own or I'd moved out of home at 17. Um, I didn't go to university. I barely went to college. I went and got a job because the family needed money. And as soon as the family was stable, I could then afford to get out on my own and start cutting my own path. And I think it comes from just always wanting to be stable and always wanting to support anyone around me um and often that spills over into you know not doing not doing it for the wrong reasons but being taken advantage of sometimes and you know because of your good nature and being wary of people mm. um you know what are they out to get from me that sort of thing and it's i suppose over 30 years i'm 40 now but since the age of sort of 10 and into my teens I've always got harder and harder sort of externally um, because I didn't you know was was very wary of people and what they wanted from me no it's harder to let people in isn't it or yeah for them. sure trust is a huge thing yeah um, okay so taking it back to when it got to its lowest just after the divorce what was it what was that defining moment that made you go right enough is enough or that led up to it being enough is enough and what happened um so yeah so it, it got to a point where um i was sat in my flat you know the, and the flat represented all the bad things that had happened you know i was living in that flat because i was divorced and because i was no longer um around the kids as much and it just it was just a horrible horrible place to be and i found myself you know, contemplating whether me being around was the best thing. And if I wasn't around, would anyone miss me? And at the time, you know, there was a there was quite a strong um feeling that, that no one no one would miss me or if they if they did, they'd probably be better off without me anyway, especially the kids. Um but it was only the kids that you know, thinking about them and thinking about well, you know, if the same thing happened to me, you know, my father committed suicide or something like that, that would really affect me. And actually, you know, my dad, we've, we need a separate, separate episode talking about my dad. Um, you know, he was a bit of a rogue, but you know, if he'd done something to himself, I would, I would find that really, really hard. So the thought of the kids not having a full, you know, a dad around was the only thing that stopped me um from carrying out what was a very well planned and so close you know nearly executed um attempt to take my life and i was sat on the sofa in my flat i remember i remember it perfectly um and i knew exactly how i was going to do it i knew exactly when i was going to do it um and it was it was so the doctor said to me so when i went to the doctor finally to to talk about my mental health what made you do that uh well a close friend of mine at the time um teresa she noticed 
my mental health declining at work and normally I could keep a, like a front up at work I could easily mask it but I was obviously finding that more and more difficult and she basically dragged me to the doctor and said this is enough something bad's going to happen you need to go and see a doctor and she basically basically physically put me in the car drove me to the doctor nearby work and put me in front of him and he explained what was going on or what he thought was going on with me um and that sort of turned that was the, the beginning of of a new life mm. effectively um but yeah it was and what he said to me was did you leave the sofa or did you did you make a move to go and do it and i said no i I nearly did. You know, I was sat on the sofa and I could have very easily got up from the chair, got in the car and off I went. Um, but I didn't actually do that. He said, well, then, you know, that's that tells me that you've got a lot more to live for than you think you do. Because mm. you, you, you would have at least tried um, or, you know, it would have been a cry for help or something like that. So you're very lucky to have got got here when you got here sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really weird time. And again, it was about, it was admitting defeat and I didn't want to admit defeat. It's not even defeat, it's admitting you need help. But even that was scary. I didn't want to, I just didn't want the world to know that I'd given, not given up, but I hadn't been able to sort it myself. Mm. And that was a big sort of pride, you know, pride thing. When weirdly it's stronger to actually ask for help. Yeah, exactly. Which again, you know now. I know now, yeah. And loads of people were telling me that at the time. Um, well, I say loads. A couple of people were telling me that at the time. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, in, mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of a crisis, the last thing you want to hear is that. Yeah, yeah. And well, what did the doctor do? What was the outcome of that appointment? Like, what, what were you... So, it obviously described everything to him, what had been going on. Um, what I thought had led me to that point, obviously, um, you know, the divorce, not seeing the kids as much, just life in general starting to suck a lot, <laughs> a lot worse than it did before. Um, and he said, well, let me put it like this. He said, I think there's a, there's a chemical imbalance in, in your brain. Um, you're not creating as much serotonin as perhaps you should and you probably haven't been doing that for a long while so what would you do if your body you know say you were a diabetic and you needed to regulate your blood sugar with insulin would you take insulin well yeah of course you would he said well you need to regulate your brain with a bit more serotonin so i'm going to give you some serotonin and sertraline uh, on a very small dose and just see how you get on with it yeah and to begin with i was very this is one of my questions. How do you feel? How did you feel then? And how do you feel now about meds? Because I think <laughs> meds is one of the most contentious issues that comes up with mental health. People don't want to be taking a pill to feel normal is what you hear quite a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and like you said, it's like if you had a big fat headache, you'd take a painkiller. Exactly. And I know it's not something you're taking every day, but it's fixing something. I mean, I there's obviously somebody you know in my life who suffered with a mental health episode a while back. And whilst I'm not going to speak about who that was Um, because I haven't had permission to um, that person also thought that they were extremely strong and I've gone through all of my life pretty much without being without succumbing to mental health problems and refused didn't want to take meds at all 
because I think they felt like it would be a weakness to have to take something mm. to survive and be normal and yeah. I think they probably feel slightly different now we've we've had a lot of talking about it and how it's nothing to be ashamed of and all that kind of thing but how did you feel before versus how you feel about medication now I think right up until I was in that doctor's room I was so anti-medication mm. I thought again it was another admission of defeat and I thought that uh, you know, I didn't how didn't know how it was going to react with me. I didn't want to be seen as the per- that person. You know, I didn't want to be- have a label above my head that said, you know, this guy is depressed. Um, and yeah, it was. I was definitely like I said up until that point where he explained it in layman's terms what it meant to to take um, an antidepressant. Um, the only say and input I had on it was that I wanted it to be a lowish dose because I didn't. I thought I still didn't need it. Yeah. So he said, okay, well... I think people think as well that it'll change you. Like, mm. it'll it'll make you a different person or it'll change your... You'll end up being, like, yeah, like a zombie. Like, you'll yeah. you'll be really sort of just spaced out all the time and yeah. it'll change your personality. I've heard that as well. Like, it'll change who I am. It'll change what I believe in. It'll change I think how I'm, I feel about my core beliefs. I but, think a lot of those things are my, were my own thoughts about how it would affect me. Mm not necessarily influences from from outside because people who I knew who were taking antidepressants would just would say it just keeps you in the center yeah yeah you yeah. won't experience brings you up to normal <laughs> yeah you won't experience strong emotions whether they be negative or positive um you'll just be a bit more in the middle so th- when things happen the the extreme peaks and troughs that I was experiencing I mean I would, for example on a monday I'd be riding high Nothing could happen to me, you know. I'd be amazing, you know. Everything would bounce off me, you know. Almost like a cartoon of a guy just sort of walking along. Everything just deflects off him, and then the next day, Tuesday, could be the darkest day, and just so I was going from extreme high to extreme low to extreme high. It was really tiring, as well. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Actually, weirdly, you say that it's the the mental and then leading to physical exhaustion behind mental health episodes is something that I didn't expect like I remember being signed off work for about three months years back and Mm -hmm. I physically couldn't get out of bed like when it was at its peak that didn't last for three months but that particular period I think I was probably in bed getting up obviously to like use the loo and eat barely but for about a week it just I wake up in the morning and I just couldn't do it and I was basically in bed for the whole of a week doing enough to function but it was absolutely exhausting and you're not doing anything so it's like well how how is this so tiring but you just you feel numb like I literally remember just feeling numb I didn't like anything or hate anything I wasn't happy or sad I was just numb I was in the middle I didn't care that was it I just didn't care I was like whatever I'm just gonna stay on my bed today yeah not gonna do anything and that exhaustion is I don't know something that you don't necessarily think that is linked with sort no. of mental health episodes. But but all the people who spoke quite knowledgeably about how an antidepressant would work with you mm. were absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they were absolutely right. It takes it takes the extreme spike off the bottom of a, a low low trough and the extreme off a off a high. Mm. That's the, that's one of the sad things is that I I certainly don't laugh and giggle. I so I do. We have a really good laugh, but it, it's not as extreme as perhaps it used to be. 
but then I'm thankful that the lows yeah. aren't as low as they used to be You've got to either. Make that compromise, haven't you? Um, so as it turns out, I was I was prescribed with sertraline. It was a 50 milligram daily dose. Um, to those who are taking sertraline, that will sound very very low, and it it was very low. Um, the minimum entry is normally 100, so they yeah. put you on super low. Yeah. So, but I did. I think I did insist at the time that I wanted to start low, mm. um, and it took a good three four weeks for it to properly kick in um and or for me to notice an effect and from that point on i was able to just function better Mm. as a as a human um and try and you know i still had my good and bad days but they were the bad days were getting less impactful and over time you know less frequent yeah so do you have any sort of fast forwarding? I know your dose got up, didn't it? When did you up your So when, when we moved to Northampton, uh, I had a mental health review by the doctor here. They were shocked that I was on 50 milligrams. They said, <laughs> that's not right. You should be on a, at least 100. And I was like, well, you're the experts. And I've been feeling you know pretty rubbish lately. So I think that's probably right. But it came at a time where I was thinking about trying to give them up so yeah. it, it was a bit of a weird you stopped taking conflict. them for a week at one point didn't you? you just didn't say anything and stopped taking them and then realized exactly why yeah. you do take them and you taper down uh don't don't do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway, that's don't. hard lesson he did know he just thought he knew better yeah don't do that that's not the right way to do it always taper um, down with doctor's advice yeah. don't ever start doing it by yourself well i spoke to the doctor about it and said you know when when can i start coming off them and he said well really you need at least a good six months to a year of consistently good or high mood mm. um, before you even start to think about coming off them. And it's it's a gradual thing. I mean, it yeah. could take, even with the small dose I'm on, it could take two or three years to, yeah. to come off them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so I went to the doctors. They said, you know, you need to be on 100. And I've been on 100 ever since. And... It's definitely th- noticed noticed a difference. Yeah, well. so I've been on 100 milligrams for yeah. nearly two years yeah, yeah. Uh, now, and I have thought about you know ta- you know tapering them off and things like that, or starting to talk to the doctor about tapering them off. But actually, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot at the moment. I wouldn't want to change how I am, mm. um, and I don't see them as having a hugely positive or negative impact they're just part of my life now yeah and i think it's i think that you know they're not there they're here to stay i don't want to take them forever but i'm certainly not in the rush i was to stop taking them like i was when i think you've kind of I come first to a started point as well that when you first started it's still a bit of a social taboo isn't it oh i'm on antidepressants and now i think you're less bothered you don't care you're like oh <laughs> if somebody asked me then yeah i am i was gonna say no one asks no but no even one. if they did <laughs> even if they found out by accident or overheard you or whatever i swear i think more people i know than not uh, more people i know are on than aren't yeah in some form and I just, yeah, that's the sort of thing we need to sort of stop but no, being embarrassed about. Is no one ever asks. No one actually really cares. No. Um, well, well, no, obviously they do. Yeah, but, but I, they don't, 
It's not a talking point. It's not is a talking it? it's not point. How you start oh, well, a different you know, conversation. Not, oh, what well, depressing you on? Oh, yeah. I'm on this one, and it's not that sort of thing. No, it's... but I just mean if it came out accidentally, or if you, you know, if it came up in conversation, if people were talking about mental health, antidepressants, blah blah blah, you could say, "Would you have an issue saying, yeah, I take it'?'" No, I have done. Yeah, I'm very open about it because. Not saying everyone should scream from the rooftops. If you want to be private about yeah, it, yeah, of course, yeah. be private about it. But what I'm saying is, don't be embarrassed about it. I'm not. I'm certainly not embarrassed by my mental health yeah. or my poor mental health or, no, or what it, you know however you want to phrase it i mean it's funny you, th- you talk about mental health and there's good and bad mm. but you know everyone's got one yeah, yeah. yeah everyone's got a mental health so I, I just have a different one and it'll be different to you it'll be different to yeah. everybody else and i'm perfectly happily happy talking about it do you have find that you have like any barriers to resolving the issues that you experience at the moment like I personally, because obviously people know I love to talk, counselling for me has been a game changer. And if I could have it free once a week, (laughs) I would do it for the rest of my life because I just find it extremely useful to speak to a stranger who's trained to do this, no bias, no worrying about what you're saying to who or upsetting someone else. And I've had probably a total of about between 40 and 50 sessions in my life. And I think the noticeable thing I found about the first time I did it was I had 12 sessions with the NHS because I was in a really bad place and it took until session 11 for me to get through one without crying Mm -hmm. so for the first 11 hours I just cried the entire session and it brought up stuff I went in there thinking I think this is the issue and it actually brought things up that I hadn't even considered but were the root of Mm -hmm. what was wrong with me and they're very clever the way they do this so I found counselling to be an absolute sort of game and life changer for me but like I don't think you, you've you you've got a bit of a thing about counselling haven't you yeah so if we rewind a little bit um, before before it got really bad and even before um, the divorce and things like that while, while I was married um, there had been a couple of instances that did affect my mental health quite badly and I was uh, prescribed um, CBT, so okay. cognitive yeah, behavioural therapy, um, which is mainly about trying to rejig or think differently about situations. So, do I need to deal with it now? No, I'll park it for later. And so, kind and of by the time, mechanisms as uh, yeah, well, and coping yeah. mechanisms. So, I did a, I did a round of that, and that was very useful. And there are still some techniques from that I use today. Which is weird because I didn't find CBT helpful at all. At all it was, weirdly, I did it, but I and I, I get the premise. Yeah, but I just it was a sticking plaster at best because it yeah. didn't really it didn't address the underlying depression that was going on. It was just how you cope with the feelings when they arise. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, so it helped for a bit, but then it didn't. It started to stop working. Um, so the way I the way I used to liken it was that you'd put your thoughts like a car into a car parking space, and then you'd sort of come back to the car later in the day and deal with it if you didn't need dealing with right at that time. Um, and I got to the point where, in my head, the car park was very, very full, mm. very quickly. And not only that, but all the roads were full around it. And I just, it's a bit like Tetris, you know, when you get to the end of a game of Tetris and you're like, oh, no, it's all it's all going wrong. And then it all starts stacking yeah, up and yeah. then you get that funny noise at the end. Um, and and explode. It's like, ah. Yeah, exactly. So I... I felt very much like that and CBT only goes so far in in getting you there 
once your car park's full, then what do you do? Exactly. So I so that's that didn't that didn't really help. But in terms of counselling and things, I've I've had counselling. Um, so I've I did, um, I did a round of six sessions I think, um, using the Mindler app, mm-hmm. um, because there was some special offer by someone on the podcast yeah. or something. Uh, so I did a, a good few sessions of that, um, but I'm I'm I find it difficult to talk about things that affect me, um, not because I'm. I don't want to talk about them. I'm happy to talk about them. I just think I talk about them in an uncounselable way. So I'm... I think you need to move past that because... Totally yeah, but I, that's it's a mindset thing. And I find... I, I'm, I'm perfectly... I'll talk to anybody and about anything. So if someone says, oh, tell me about your childhood and stuff like that, cracking, off, off I go. But you need to have them asking the right questions in the right way. Yeah, I think the, the mindler... Um, counsellor I was matched to didn't quite work for the sorts of things that I needed to talk about. Yeah. You need someone who specialises in childhood trauma, I think. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure what's in there. There's certainly a lot of stuff in there that makes me how I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm perfectly aware of that. Um, but there's a big part of me that says, okay, well, just let it go. You know, you don't need to live in the past all the time. Just move forward. And and that's fine if you can. Yeah. But the thing is, it recurs. Every time you have low mood, these same topics come back up that we end up talking about. Yeah, yeah. So you can't let it go. And I think that's that's the problem, isn't it? Is we get to a point where it's easy to say, let it go, let it go. But you can't because it keeps coming back up again and again and again. So that's how I think it genuinely enables you to let go and not have to rethink about it every time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my issues in that regard is is all about living in the past. It's about looking back at decisions made. Friendships right, lost. Right, yeah, friendships lost. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, I put the emphasis on, on me. You know, the problem was mm-hmm. me. I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. Yeah. Um, what if again. What if I'd done this? Um, made this decision, that decision. But it's weird because you talk about yourself in isolation, like nobody else in the picture had any kind of impact. It's mm. like you're blaming yourself when actually it takes more than one person to make a situation like this occur. It's not just you, but you can't ever see outside of that. True, but you know, I I obviously had had a hand in it. Yeah, um, but, but you put it all on you. Yeah, because that's that's what I've I've spent forty years perfecting. Mm. <laughs> um, is that sort of you know self um, self doubt, self lo- not loathing, I suppose, but self deprecation, deprecation. Yeah, and just you know, it was obviously my fault. What could I have done differently? Um, that's led to me not particularly being very good at making new friends. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. I can make new friends. I struggle to keep them and yeah. try and keep the relationship going and things like that. So having moved to Northampton, I've got lots of friends and acquaintances and people I've met. Um, I'm just not very good at starting the conversation, making you know, making time to go down the pub. And I think a lot of that, without wishing to sound horrendously sexist, is a lot. It is quite male as well, because I think a lot of men are quite rubbish at social organizing stuff i think it's mostly we're better at doing this than you guys are yeah but there's an element of that yeah which but, there's think... def- but there's definitely stuff there that's that comes from the past yeah yeah yeah. and the reason sure. why i do and don't do stuff yeah. is is there's a lot of a lot of it contributing from the way i felt about it in the past so sure. speaking of 
being sexist do you think that there is disparity in men's and women's mental health in how it's portrayed in the public arena about how it's supported about just how easy it is for men versus women to talk openly about this kind of thing and what's out there to help um i think uh, this is a difficult one because there's no right answer but i think it's definitely been or seen as more difficult for men to open up and talk about these sorts of things there's been fewer outlets perhaps than Mm. um females have to it although thinking about it i'm not sure whether that's right or not um i think it's just it's been more difficult for men to in general open up and be vulnerable and i think a lot of that is because men people assume still those old stereotypes that the men are the strong ones and you know the men are the people that keep everything together and and also you know it's becoming less like that which is great but it's almost like oh the men in the background of the family if they fall apart we all fall apart you know well, I think to keep everyone going that comes from a generational standpoint that's what I, mean, I think which is becoming better now yes but i also think with women a lot of it is linked to sometimes being a mum being a stay-at-home mum wife and it's much more you know they've got kind of more emotional burden on them so it's kind of almost more of an open arena for women to sort of say i'm struggling yeah whether, whether it's postnatal depression whether it's any other kind of depression because they have this certain role no more like that in the main women do still do the majority of the the sort of child rearing in most families don't get me wrong lots of people are now both full-timers but in the main it's usually down to the woman in in, in a percentage majority mm-hmm. um and so that's a whole different side to depression you know i think men's depression types may be different maybe they're depressed for totally different reasons than women are but i feel like there's a lot of resource out there on social media you just have to click and you see all these you know support groups and stuff but the only one i've seen which we've noticed recently is andy's man's andy's man club andy's man club or andy's man club andy's man, andy's club. man club yeah and they've set up um an incredible mental health support network for men haven't mm-hmm. they and they set up meetings in cities all over the country yeah hundreds of thousands of men go it has saved countless lives like countless of men who were going to commit suicide and it's it's incredible and i think that has been a long time coming we're still waiting for northampton chapter by the way i'll tag you in um but yeah so i think that on social media and just other stuff like that makes it you see in the press quite a lot you know about people's negative mental health stories and more often than not they're women but it's like you say i think men find it more difficult to talk about their emotions to talk about the fact that they feel like they're failing Mm -hmm. and they think it'll make them look weak they think it'll make them be less accepted at work because there's the workplace which we still haven't talked about i'll touch on that in a minute um but i mean with, with work actually let's touch on it now with work i work i'm very lucky to work for a massive company tfl's mental health support is incredible like we've always got places to turn we have so many resources counseling which is included on our um private healthcare, but we also have employee counseling lines which are free we have people we can talk to all the time we have policies in place we have support networks in place how do you feel about mental health in the workplace as a man is it different or in fact not as a man is as a man and in general do you find it different have you found it difficult to cope at work have you what has the support network been like has it kind of impacted your job or have you managed to kind of 
work along with um, it? It's certainly different in a smaller organisation. Um, you don't have the same sort of benefits package and things like that mm. that, that has, um, you know, helplines or, you know, lines to, to yeah, chat and yeah. stuff like that. But we've just recently got private health care and there is provision in men- there for mental health, Yay. Uh, which is fantastic. Amazing. Um, so, so it's good. I think as a company, we... We have mental health first aiders, yeah. but that is a mental health first aid thing. So it's it's An meant to address yeah. uh, crisis and things like that. Whereas you know it's not day to day. Yeah. Oh, I'm having a rubbish day. Well, let's you know let's go and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's not know, counselling, is it? No. no. So you tend to come at it from a different point of view, where your your colleagues are your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you spend an awful lot of time with these people, and you know when someone's having a, a bad day. Mm. Um, so you kind of rely on some people to sort of step up and step in and say hey let's go and have a cup of coffee let's let's go and talk about what's what's going on and it's always helpful to have a supportive manager which both of us have so yes 100 percent. it's nice that you can always feel like you can go and chat to them yeah if you feel like something's going on and it, it might be the case that they don't they don't fully understand where you're coming from or what they're doing but if you've got especially if they've never experienced mental yeah, health problems but yeah. if you've got the boss or you know a colleague that's at least will listen and not judge and make you feel like you are you've been listened to empathize that can often yeah that can often make the difference between a good day and a bad day yeah and sometimes you don't even need to go to them because as long as you know you could mm. that's enough sometimes um but i think the conversation is very different now um I think it's less taboo for men to come forward and say, yeah, I've got a, you know, I'm not, I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah. And they might use different language and different, um, there might be different triggers and things like that. But the, the underlying thing is, is the same. If you're struggling, then you've got to, you've mm. just got to say. Well, lots of places actually have now weirdly mental health days, one day a month that they can just take off as a mental wellness day. So if you're having a particularly rough mm-hmm. time, it's additional to annual leave. And it's not, it, it tends to be sort of like smaller corporations that do it rather than big companies. We certainly don't. But you can just say, you know, I just need a mental health day and you can just have a day a month off. Mm-hmm. Was it? Um, well, however often it is. But I think on the whole sort of understanding and empathy hard as well I think it's it's it is easy to empathize but you can't really sympathize unless you've been there and I think I've definitely been guilty of that I I was and I think lots of people have like until you actually suffer yourself you don't you kind of go people say they have anxiety and you go oh what are you worried about and it's like no, I, no, no I'm not worried about something I have anxiety there's a I whole was the worst I was the worst for it so before um before obviously you know I started with search lean and after my my breakdown and stuff I was very much of the Come on, man up. Man up, yeah. <laughs> Horrible phrase, but yeah, man yeah. up. You know, come on, put your big girl pants on, crack on. Yeah. You know, life can't be It'll that be bad. Fine. It'll, It'll be, be fine. fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I what are you worried a... about? Yeah, what? yeah. It's like, so all the, oh, yeah. all the things that that I know are wrong to say now, mm. I have said at some point. Yeah. And you know, looking back, <laughs> looking back, and feeling yeah, pretty rubbish yeah. about it. But it's um, learning, isn't it? Yeah, of course. It's, it's learning and changing. It's like you said, it's it's empathy um and being able to sympathise with a with a situation and with a person. And there is a I think there is a generational difference because, you know, I'm sure he won't mind me saying I think my dad his view on mental health as a concept, poor mental health as a concept, 
I don't think he, the penny kind of really dropped for him until he saw me fully break down in hospital. And he actually saw, physically speaking, what it did to me, yeah. how it affected me. And he was shocked. I think he was like, you know, I didn't understand yeah. that until that moment, exactly what that impact was and how severe it was. And well, he was, yeah. he but that's not his fault. Like, no, no, no. he comes from that generation and people didn't talk about it. Well, and he's not surrounded by people who no, and are affected and by And this it. is it. He's not had, he's not, none of my family have been it's really exposure. surrounded by it or people who have talked about it. Yeah. And so, but that's just as an example. And you know, since then, it's completely changed because I feel like I can talk to him about it. I feel like, yeah, he asks now. He'll ask not only how my physical health is, he'll ask me how yeah. I'm feeling. And it's, I can talk to him openly now. Yeah. And I felt, I didn't feel like I talked, not just my parents, I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone mm -hmm. because I just thought I would be judged or I think people would be like, really, you can't get out of bed. You've done nothing all week. How are you that tight? You know, and I, you just don't say anything. No. And I, you know, I felt, I've, felt very similar i can't you know my my family know that i'm on antidepressants and i've had a depressive episode and, uh, and all that sort of stuff but they don't ask me about it because they're mm. frightened of it yeah and i know that and i don't i know not to talk about it in front of them i've got plenty of other outlets to talk mm. about it um but you know it makes them uncomfortable mm. and that makes me sad but i'm i have to as much as they have to respect that i've I am the way I am. I have to respect the way they are, the way they are. The people who talk or ask me the most about it are the boys. Yeah, I was actually going to come on to how do yeah. you, so as I a dad, just... how would you explain this to children? Because <laughs> it will come up or it has come up or... Yeah, so it's definitely come up. And they... So I describe them as happy pills. And that's probably not the right thing to do. But that's, that's how I've done it. But it's it. age appropriate. For Ben it yeah. is, for Louis perhaps not. Yeah, so... I've told you know I've told them that at some some points in my life I've been super super sad and I don't want to feel super super sad all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to be happy. So when they see me, I'm happy, dad, and I, we can go out and do stuff. Um, so if I don't take these pills, then there's a chance that when they come and see me, I'll be sad and we won't be able to go out to the park and have fun and stuff like that. So they are just a, a means of keeping me. Um, from being super sad and they they understand that they mm. totally totally get that um and i think louis more so because he's obviously very aware of his own mental health yeah, yeah yeah um he he understands it a bit more and but yeah I, i've kept it as light as that i don't yeah. you know not gone into a huge amount of detail but certainly like i said age appropriate yeah i certainly haven't discussed suicide with them oh, yeah, or no. anything like that because it's not age appropriate no um but they are aware that daddy has uh you know bouts or spells of really low mood and being sad or grumpy and stuff like that and they don't want to see a sad or grumpy dad no. so daddy takes a little pill every day a happy pill to stop him from being so sad and i think that's that's worked so far i mean obviously there will be conversations to come in the future where you know, we'll we'll have to use different language and, and explain it in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, I've got no again no issue answering any questions they they ask me. Yeah. I just will try and answer them in a more 
in an age-appropriate way. Well, honesty and openness is the best thing because yeah. then if they ever experience issues, they know they can come and talk to us. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. don't want them to hide it, do you? Exactly. I, I would want that. I would want to be the first person they come <clears throat> to if they have a mental health question. Yeah. Or problem, or you know, they just want someone to talk to. Yeah. I, I want them to know, to feel like I could listen to them and understand what they're saying because I've been through a similar thing and direct them in the right way yeah, yeah. exactly so that's that's kind of the, the approach I've taken to it it's a very light-hearted very minimal but not deliberately so no I'm mm. not keeping it from them there's just stuff they don't need to know fair enough so what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to anybody who was feeling symptoms of low mood or who might be <clears throat> who might be feeling a little bit rubbish but not really knowing quite what to do not really kind of wanting to talk about it but is starting to feel not themselves I think that the one thing that you need to do is confide in someone someone you trust whether it be a family member a friend someone you don't know so maybe a counsellor or something like that just someone you someone you can put trust into and that you're comfortable not going into huge detail, but just being able to talk to. Mm. But then the backup bit of advice to that is listen to what they've got to say. Because quite often you'll get it off your chest and you go, oh, I feel a lot better now. I can just crack on with my life. Whereas actually the outcome was probably, what they probably said to you was, you should go and see someone or talk to someone about that, like mm. a GP or something. And I don't, I don't think there's enough early intervention for this sort of stuff I think you know for me I was very very lucky I didn't get to the point where I went and did something stupid but give it another couple of weeks and I might not have been in the same sort of place yeah um, because it was it, it spiraled very very quickly and like I said I, I think early intervention is is key so having someone to talk to it might not get to the point where you need to go and see a GP or take sertraline or whatever antidepressant um, you know, you might be able to work it out, but a problem shared and all that is absolutely a problem halved. And I think there's far less taboo about it. There's far fewer excuses now not to do it because it's so health insurance okay. counselling. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but there's but there's far less excuse not to do it these yeah. days. Um, and it's so easy now as well. I mean, even if you look at things like just take counselling as an example, you don't always have to go somewhere. No. You can do it online. Yeah. You can do it on a Zoom. It's like you don't even have to leave the safety, comfort and familiar surroundings of your own home yeah. to go and sit in a doctor's office. So you it's can, so accessible. You can also, I think some services, you can just use WhatsApp and WhatsApp someone like they're a friend yeah. and just talk to them that way. Whatever medium makes sense for, to you. But I think the most direct route would be to find someone you can, someone you can talk to, someone you trust motorbike going past um someone you trust and ultimate so by by someone you tr I, you trust i mean someone that will listen to you fully and properly but someone you trust enough that if they do suggest you do something you know that it's you've got it's coming from the right place yeah yeah and you should probably go and do it and it's not just generic to get you out yeah yeah for and, sure. it, and you know pick your people carefully yeah but mental health is not and it's not a one-shot thing. No. So it's a continuum. Um, and in the same way as... Um, I think that's actually quite hard to accept, though, isn't it? Like, once oh, you've yeah. got it, it's like, I'm probably not 
going to get rid of this for my whole life. It's just something I need to manage and learn how and to that's manage. A, that's a big thing to get wrap your head around. Yeah. Especially when you're coming from a standpoint of, I can sort this myself. Yes. Uh, I've totally got this. I can sort She's this myself. <laughs> I should, yeah, I shouldn't be this weak um, and all that sort of stuff. It's just when, when you're... When you're this side of it, you just think, oh, what a fool. What an absolute fool. I can't believe I left it so long. I can't believe I let it get so bad. I can't believe I was... But that's because you're in a better place. Yeah. That's because your mental health is improved. But at the time, when I was sat in that doctor's office, office, if you'd said, do you know what, in three years' time, four (laughs) years' time, uh, you're going to be in a brand new house, you're going to be remarried, you're going to have an amazing stepmom looking um, after your kids with you, you know, life is, life is going to be grand. I would have said, yeah, right. you are off your rocker, son. <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, but I wouldn't be here now had I not taken that step. Or yeah. Teresa hadn't put me in the car yep. and said, enough's enough. And that's because I hadn't, I hadn't really spoken to her properly or anybody properly about it early enough in the process. Yeah. I, I tried to deal with it all myself. And it was only because she noticed that the last constant in my life, which was work, was starting to suffer. Yeah. That was like the final straw. And up until then, I'd been been able to keep work going as, you know, as as being the the constant. But Well, thank goodness she did. Yeah. There's I'd, one thing I'd, to I'd, thank her for. That will I'd always be, be it. <laughs> I will always be thankful to her for, for essentially saving my life. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it was such a big thing to, to go through. I'm so glad I can talk about it now. Yep. Um, and it not be it doesn't define me. Nope. Oh, that's a, such a horrible cliche a thing to say. <laughs> but it's but, true. Doesn't, but people don't you know people I meet for the first time don't go oh you look depressed. <laughs> you know it's it, it's obviously not my defining feature. No, so. and people wouldn't know unless you shared it anyway. Yeah, but, I think the only I mean what I don't even think this this is why I think. I've mentioned a few times, both on social media and in this podcast, the whole we, we've heard in this episode how intrinsic, intrinsically, intrin- whatever, alcohol could be linked to this kind of thing as a coping mechanism or something that triggers it or both. And I think this is why it makes me so cross when if you decide that you don't want to drink, and I don't mean necessarily for life, but if you decide you want to go through a period of whatever that might be of not having alcohol, because you know how it affects, not you personally, but one knows how yeah. it affects their mental health. I don't like this whole, oh, oh, boring, boring. Just have one, just have what, what, just respect someone's decision. You don't know what they're going through. And this is the point, because with you, when your mental health is good, and we're in a place now where there's been a lot of trial and practice about, mm-hmm. you know, your drinking, because you enjoy a drink, which is fine. But it's just the way that you're mentally around it and the way that you control your own drinking. And actually, it's got an awful lot better to a point where we will have a few drinks every now and again now. But at the end of the day, we don't binge anymore. We don't get silly drunk anymore. And you do things like you check your mood before you have a drink. If you're feeling in any way low or annoyed or upset, it's an absolute no. And so we go through almost this mental checklist together before we decide to have a drink. Mm -hmm of the potential outcomes and actually that will be a thing that we do forever that's actually a really good thing actually to point out that being on this side of it now and having taken antidepressants for a period Mm. you have the time and space to look on your mental mental health 
So you can take a step back and go, how do I feel today? Okay, well, I don't feel amazing. So I'm going to make the decision not to do these things. I'm going to make the decision to do these things instead. Yeah. And I think when, certainly when you're you're in a poor mental state, not medicated um, you know, before before intervention or anything like that, quite often you you make the exact opposite decisions and or in fact you don't spend the time even thinking yeah you don't even think you don't even think the outcome you just do you just do because yeah what you want is the the release that you want to feel different but that's the weird thing it's because like often though your train of thought will still be there because if you're angry or upset about something you will vocalize you'll say to me i just really want to drink but i'm not going to yeah. Because you know in your head that that's exactly what you want to go and do right now. Yeah. You want to get absolutely blotted and just forget about it. But you know also in that same sentence that you shouldn't. And this is the worst time to drink. And you don't. So it's yeah. almost like you're going through that process mentally anyway. But one of the reasons why I say it out loud is because I'm I'm looking for that support yeah. of I want a drink. I don't want one. And I want you to say, no, you this don't need one. This isn't a good space yeah, to have one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't need one. And you're right. You don't. You, you, you are. Yeah, right. I don't, don't tell you. I just go. Yeah, you, if you you're feeling with, this way, you agree with what I say. It's not the best time for you to drink. And yeah, you no, know, it's a very, it's an incredibly mild cry for help if you want. But it's just. Uh, but isn't it a good take back control moment? Because you feel like you can control. go. You yeah. wake up the next morning, you feel totally different, and you go, "I didn't drink. Yeah, I I got through this. I did the right thing, and you've got that control back over your own brain and over your life and yeah. over your behaviour. And don't get me wrong; it although I would say ninety five percent I've got a handle on that sort of stuff. There's still curveballs mm, that take you out, of and there will be. you know come come at you from completely left field. And you're you dying. No, yeah, exactly. But you know, I'm <laughs> I'm really quite proud of how oh, I managed to handle all you that. You did brilliantly that and, day. You know, I could have re- easily used used it as an excuse to say, well, you know, I'm. I should, you know, I'm grieving, therefore I can get drunk. For... Therefore, this is a get out yeah. of jail free card. Yeah, thank exactly. You. Which, which it obviously isn't. Um, but it's it's nice to be in a headspace where I can make that distinction and make those decisions, um, where I'm in charge of that decision, not my brain. And yeah, well, your your more conscious part that's controlled is telling you exactly telling your brain what to do rather than you just letting it run away yeah i think there's a degree of willpower in there as well oh, somewhere it's a massive it's all willpower yeah. like every single bit of it is willpower when it when it was your crutch and your go-to to be able to just cut it off for what five months which we did yeah but also to be able to say no now mm-hmm. when it's the most the thing you most want to do it's all willpower and yeah. you should be really proud of how far you've come because yeah. with that, there's no way to say that without sounding patronising but to a fully grown adult but actually when it's been something that's dictated a lot of your life it's also caused horrible problems in your past life and <laughs> well and in ours to be fair we've yeah. had some pretty horrific issues around it yep. but like you know that but to have something that has been so intrinsically linked I'll stop using that word to your mental health balance and to recognize it is huge Mm. it's been transformative i think for you anyway definitely um and i you know and i had no idea any of this was the first when i first met you literally had zero idea that any of this had happened like i had no idea for at least i want to say about three four months Mm -hmm. that 
any of this is going on, that's how that's how good you got hiding it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had no idea. Have I said anything in this podcast that you didn't know? No, I don't think so. Well, that's good, isn't it? No, you haven't. I think you've put a little bit more detail around the suicide element of it. I think I didn't realise... I knew that you'd planned it and how you'd do it, how you were going to do it, but I don't think I knew how close you were to actually doing it. Yeah. Looking back, I'm scarily close. Yeah. And I don't think... And I still think about it now. Not in a I'm going to go and do it way. But in it just, happened. It's very easy to cast your mind back to that particular point and how it felt. Yeah. Um, and... You know, and, and it could be triggered by anything. Mm. It doesn't you know? It doesn't. But that'll be lifelong. That's always yeah. going to be there. And that's that's another point. Is that this this is a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, at the time, I was scared of that. I didn't know what life would throw at me or what I would get in return um, for the for the work I'd put in to writing the ship. But it's it's been, <laughs> it's been good. I'm but, not going to lie. And now it's managing it, isn't it? So yeah. it's like almost when things start to go a little bit south you recognize it far sooner you put things in place far quicker you know how to do things that will perhaps make it not hit as low as it would have done before yeah you've got someone to talk to all the time when you're feeling low because you don't even need to talk i can tell the minute you walk in the door what kind of like state you're in i can tell when you phone me on the way home if i don't get george then there's been a bad day or it's it's been a bit low so i mean it's that's good having just at least having that minor basic support network yeah where you're not by yourself you don't need to keep it internalized Mm -hmm. and it's like people say it all the time and it sounds like a massive cliche but it is the most important thing is to talk to someone just find someone that you trust absolutely to talk to because that's you share it and at least it's out there and someone can help yes and they and then that person can support you yeah you know they can spot things that they perhaps didn't spot before they put it adds context to to the way you're behaving and And they can help you get that help if you can't do it yourself yeah but do you know you have to go you know go and talk to a professional about it Mm. and they might say actually all right but at least then you know and i just think there are some people you know many of my family well my family members included who just won't go to the doctors for no, a general ailment. They will not. So go, you know, asking, you know, uh, suggesting that they go to the doctors about their own mental health is like, mm. you know, telling them to fly to Mars. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that far out there that it's just they can't do it. And I think also since post COVID, there's been an awful, and horrible increase in the number of people suffering with mental health issues for either being stuck in their homes or for having COVID or living with long COVID or whatever it might be. Now GPs more than ever are seeing so much of it that it's almost, it's it's just become like an easier access point. It's become, you know, this is, they they must see this day in, day out. So Mm -hmm. it's no longer like they'll see one person with a mental health issue in a week. Now they'll probably be seeing sort of 10 a day. And there's so much more awareness around it now. And there's also... Lots of counselling options. Oh yeah, so many online ones. So you know they've got lots of lots of things to work with you Mm -hmm. with, no, rather than just lobbing pills at you. Exactly. Perhaps was the way of doing it twenty years ago. But now they encourage you almost to look at these other therapies, don't they? Whatever they might be, CBT or counselling or whatever it might be. But there are ways. You know, most um, self-referred 
um, talking therapies and things. Most places do that now. Mm-hmm. They are free. And mm-hmm. yes, there might be a waiting list, but they are free. So if you're yeah. worried that money is a barrier to it, then... There's you know, also means tested. There's a lots of yeah, places yeah, lot that of will supported, do yeah. it based on what your income is. Yeah. I, for example, one of my friends who I've known um, from living in South London, um, Ali, she has um, set up and is the founder of her own counselling and psychotherapy um business based in southwest london they do online therapy it's an amazing group of women who um can help people through situations like this to do couples stuff you know just individual sort of counseling and therapy sessions for, for a broad spectrum of things and it's all um the fees for it are based on a sliding scale according to what you can afford um so we will we'll put um a link to Tilia therapy's instagram page um on this episode for anyone who who might be interested Talking to a friend or a family member or your GP is completely free. Yes, of course, of course. So, and NHS is too. And like you say, even though there's a wait list, have a look. If you've got, if you if, if you have um, private healthcare through your work, more often than not, counselling will be included. Yes, there's normally a mental so health So check it. Provision. If you have that, check that you're not entitled. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just, I know it gets said an awful lot by a lot of people and you know we're going to say exactly the same thing but just talk just talk to someone talk to us yeah we're more we're than happy for you to talk inbox to us inbox always open phone's um, always open yeah open. so phone's always on yeah exactly so if you if you're just not feeling it and you haven't been feeling it for a while then oh hello juicy um he normally then, walks in the meows yeah. just waiting for his two pence worth in then there. you know just talk to someone yeah um so that's probably a good time to say that you can email us at uh, at gmail.com or contact us through uh, Instagram at bangersandmasschat. Drop into our DMs. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and a good way to end the session, I think, or end this podcast episode. Yeah. Talk, 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 talk. Thank you for that. Uh, that, was, that was actually quite cathartic. Do you feel like you've had a counselling session? Yeah. Um, Can I just say that through this entire episode, because I've been trying to be really serious, I've been drinking the most revolting tea. Aldi do most things well, but this biscuit tea, their variation of biscuit tea is not good. <laughs> don't don't put yourself through it. No. Well, I haven't done that. No. So that's fine. But you have the final word. What, what would your imparting line of wisdom be? Um, as with all mental health, it's a continuum. And this won't be the last time we talk about it, uh, for sure. I've you know I've touched on some pretty horrible stuff today, um, but it's certainly not the whole story. And if anyone wants to talk to me about it privately, then please do. I'm more than happy to talk about it. Um, but yeah, just talk. Just yeah. keep talking. And that, one of the reasons why we do this podcast is to help our own mental health. Mm. You know, this is so. True. We we said that that was one of the one of the objectives of doing it was to just say what was on our minds and get it out there, and we've done we've done exactly that. This is our tenth episode. Yeah, and quite fitting. It should be our mental health awareness yeah, week. Really, we, but we really enjoy doing it. We enjoy um, you know the feedback that we get for doing it, and we want to do much much more of it. So, um, if you've got any questions or themes or topics we will tackle almost anything yeah as long as it's not uh, you know hugely divisive yeah or we'll cause our divorce <laughs> we won't be talking about harry and megan because you know 
<laughs> well, no one wants to talk about them, right? Well, no, quite. So, anyway, um, thank you yeah. so much for listening. Yeah, thanks, I really guys. appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll speak to you on the next one. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.